Chapter 31, January 23rd, 1997, age 42. His last day of freedom proved to be much warmer and clearer in New York than it was just a few days earlier, when the highest temperature never made it into the 20-degree range. Inside the grayish-blue house on 89th Street, a sleeping Robert was not aware of the nicer weather, nor was he conscious of what was happening just outside the front door, where two, quote, angels with guns awaited entry. A month prior to that midwinter day, he found out that Nicky, who had managed to fly below the radar all these years, had been arrested for his shylocking business in Florida. Once again, this sent Robert out of Lauren and Brianna's lives and into the shadows of crack houses and brothels while avoiding his usual hangouts as much as possible. This afforded him the luxury of an incessant high, above the problems with the law, above the neglect of family. Sometime before the 23rd, time was no longer a concern, Robert's charm, unhampered by his filthy clothing or foul smell, found the company of a strung-out prostitute and a friend who had a basement apartment, along with a willingness by both to share their crack cocaine. All three sat around in the guy's apartment, smoking the crack pipe until their supply diminished. The prostitute left to score a trick or two to earn more money for crack. At about seven in the morning, Robert had grown antsy on the verge of crashing. He went outside to make a call to a bar where he'd bought coke before, not thinking it was way too early for anyone to be there. When no one answered, he went back to the apartment where he fell asleep on the couch while his friend left to find more crack. His sleep was deep, the result of staying high for days without coming down, and therefore he never heard the door to the apartment unlock and open. But he did feel a nudging at his feet, which were propped up on the arm of the couch. He opened his eyes enough to see the source of the annoyance, a semi-automatic pistol. Robert always knew he was most vulnerable when he was high. That's why he never committed a robbery or any other crime while on drugs, and he always kept a gun close by. He always tried to be in a place that most people would not know where he was. Because he knew of associates and made men who lost their lives because of their drug habits, hardly anyone knew where he could be found when he was getting high. Just a few months ago, he learned that little Joe died after his heart exploded from a drug overdose. It was rumored that he had brought shame to his former mafia brothers with his drug usage, and that the money he was collecting was not making it to his bosses, so he was silenced. Robert felt he was in the same situation, especially since Nicky was under the watchful eye of the federal government, and any loose ends, like Robert, could put him away for the rest of his life. Staring at the blurred image of the handgun tapping his foot, Robert began to wonder if this was how it would end, with a bullet in his head, just after waking up enough to know what was happening to him. And for the first time, he didn't have a gun, since he had pawned it to buy crack. This was it. At age 42, Robert, the former up-and-coming mafia star, a.k.a. Robert the Crackhead, would no longer exist. He just hoped his mom would know what happened to him. He heard his name called. Yeah, that's me. NYPD, you're under arrest. Get on your knees and put your hands on your head. Now. Robert's vision was still a little blurry, but he was able to make out the images of two plainclothes officers with their guns still drawn, waiting for him to comply with the commands he had just received. Behind them was his friend, 
the key to the apartment still dangling from his hand. Sorry, Robert. Get up, one of the warrant officers ordered as he assisted Robert, who was now handcuffed. As he was escorted from the apartment that day and entered the warmth of the sun's rays, a sense of relief surprised him. Trying to stay on a constant high had become a burden to him, and with the arrest, that burden, along with the heaviness of depression and self-loathing, was disappearing. He remembered a conversation with his mother a few months prior. She informed him that a federal agent had been to her house in Florida looking for him. She didn't tell the agent that Robert was back in New York or anything else that might put Robert in their hands. As the agent left, he gave her his business card. Robert had little concern with the agent, content that his plan to hide out in crack houses would safeguard him from the law. His only concern at the time was the need for more money. As he had done many times before, he asked her for money, claiming he needed it to get his clothes from the laundromat, when in reality he would use it to buy more drugs. As with any mother wanting to give her son the chance to do what was right, she agreed to give it to him. But something strange happened at the end of the conversation. Without provocation, Robert told his mother, Mom, everything's going to be okay. Despite his current condition as a homeless drug addict, regardless of his list of repeated offenses, without thought of his continuing dance with death, Robert spoke words so improbable that even he knew that they came from a source other than him. Apparently his mother did too because she replied, I know, Robert. I know. As Robert thought about that conversation while headed to central booking, a smile without ulterior motives found its way to his face. Everything's going to be okay, he said to himself as he looked at the two officers in the front seat, men whom he would later refer to as his angels with guns.